Welcome to the Writer's Right Podcast, the show where every writer has the right to speak their mind. I'm your host, Joshua Howe, as always, and we'll be giving attention to the last thing that my guest has written and the writing process. So today's guest is a fellow tortured Raptors fan, one of my Raptors Republic compadres, and a Derek Rose stan obliterator. It's Anthony Doyle. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Uh, dude, how how are the Rose stands in your mentions lately? Like, with the way Rose has been playing in that series, uh, are they coming for you? They, honestly, most of them just ignore me at this point. I've, <laughs> I think I've got most of them angry enough that they don't pay attention to me anymore, thankfully. But it's one of the absolute worst se- segments of basketball Twitter in my mind. Yeah, it really is. I have my first block this uh, this year on Twitter. Or maybe, no, first block ever, I think. I mean, I'd have to dig in that a little bit. But I think it was the first block I've ever had on Twitter, and it was about, about Derrick Rose, of course. And I like I never block anybody, but, man, I don't, I, I'm so tired of that Derrick Rose conversation, but... Uh, yeah, he's he's been doing some good things in that Minnesota Rockets series, and like all the stands are just like they're coming out from under their rocks and crawling out like Gollum from the cave, and like oh man, it's it's terrifying. Originally, I didn't even care that much about Rose anymore. I just thought he was. I thought it was just funny that teams keep giving him a chance when mostly he's bad. Yeah. And every once in a while, he has a good couple games, but mostly he's bad. So. I just tweeted a couple of things a long time ago about how I thought it was funny that he was still getting a contract and how his him and his agent were talking about a max deal last summer. And then they came after me. <laughs> and, it, and it changed in my mind from this is funny to, okay, now I've got to keep tweeting slander because these people just won't leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, they, they're going to come every single time like it's literally the and it always seems to be the uh points crowd too like oh he averaged 18 points with the knicks like he's good like and that's it like there's nothing beyond that it's just he averaged 18 points like you know nothing about his team always losing nothing about the his like his minutes always being a negative net ratings like nothing um, I have had people as recently as the last month in my mentions telling me he is still one of the best point guards in the league Oh my goodness! Uh, how many times, like, like when you go on to to watch a Minnesota game, like, what's your over under going in for, like, how many times they're going to mention that he was a former MVP? Oh, I, like, I don't listen to the Minnesota broadcast at all. Oh yeah, that's pretty good. It's he enters the game, they mention it. He scores, they mention it. Yeah. He, somehow makes a decent defensive play, even though most of them are bad, and they will talk about it. And it's just... It's like the Jason Tatum is only 19 years old thing. Oh my god, yeah. But he has a son, so, you know, that also oh, needs sorry, to be he, mentioned. He's 20 now. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm, I'm 23. I can't even fathom having a son. Also, I'm not in the NBA, and I don't make that much money. But, like, you know, it's it, if I had a son, it would not be the same, like, big, as big of a deal as, like, every day, just everyone's got to mention, like, go on Facebook and mention that I have a son. I, yeah, I think Jason Tatum's awesome. I, Derek Rose is having a great series, but we can talk about other things, too. <laughs> yeah, like, like, fun, good basketball things. Um, speaking of potentially fun, good basketball things, uh, the Raptors are potentially fun, good basketball things. 
And you wrote an article on them uh, yesterday for Raptors of Public. And uh, it was called um, Absence Makes the Heart Grow Fonder, uh, which I immediately knew before I'd even uh, opened the article to read it that it was about Fred Van Vliet, who we are missing tremendously right now. Um, but did, did you see this coming at the beginning of the season, that we would miss him this much? Oh, God, no. No, not at all. I didn't, I didn't think, like, like, I wrote, like, before, like, just before the season, I wrote an optimistic article on the Raptors Young Guys, and, uh, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't think it was going to be anywhere near this, what this has become, but I definitely thought, like, Norman Powell was going to be the main focus out of all of that, and, like, I'm pretty sure everybody did, but Van Vliet, nope, he wasn't even on my radar, uh, like, I, I thought he'd be, like, you know, I was hoping he'd be good. I wasn't sure how good. I definitely thought DeLon uh, was going to be playing way more minutes than him and was probably, like, significantly better. Uh, but I wasn't I, sure. I thought of Fred at the beginning of the season as, like, nice injury insurance. Yeah. And I yeah. thought if Kyle or DeLon goes down, then at least we have Fred there. And I didn't think at all he would end up being one of the most important players on the team. But we, and I f- still feel like, and I, this is why I wanted to write this article is we don't want to give him enough credit because he was undrafted and because we didn't see it coming. We're, we're reluctant to sort of move those guys up the totem pole. And Fred really is like he RPM PIPM. These stats had him as, a top 50, top 60 player in the league this year. And I don't know if he will be that over the course of several seasons, but he was that important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's, and I think even more than anything, like it's randomly worked this way, but with the Raptors changing their offensive system and uh, all that kind of thing, they like, he's, he's just a good fit for the Raptors. Like this team, he's a great fit. Because he works well alongside DeLon Wright, and he's good uh, at running the second unit, and they need his playmaking, and they need his scoring, and his calming presence, and his defensive grit and heart and hustle. Um, he's just like a perfect like conductor for the second unit. Um, that, you know, I mean, he'd be good on other teams. Like, it's not like he wouldn't be good, um, but it's just like this particular group and he's created such a chemistry with them. Like, he's just like a perfect fit. Like, he's the ultimate cog in this Raptors, like, second unit system. And even even such to the point that, like, you know, uh, Casey started putting him in the closing lineup and, like, it it worked wonders. And, you know, we're, you know, four games in with game five tonight and we're still trying to figure out, you know, exactly who we want to put in those minutes in the, to close games. Yeah, there's this... The There's been a lot of talk about the end of Game 4 and how the Raptors reverted to old tendencies. Yeah. And I, I kind of went back and watched Game 3 and 4, and I'm coming more and more to the conclusion that that's who the Raptors always want to be, is De- DeMar DeRozan, part of what makes him so great is he has an attitude of, I'm going to beat the defense on this possession. And he's moved this year more to, we're going to beat the defense on this possession, but he still wants to be that guy who, he's the guy doing it. And that's that's not a bad thing, but that's something that you have to 
temper a little bit. You need the guy beside him in the backcourt to be somebody who tempers that. And Kyle Lowry can be that guy. Sometimes he won't because he's temperamental himself. DeLon Wright's not really that guy. He wants to also attack all the time. And Fred's that calming presence. And that just, like, you know he's most almost always going to make the right play. And De- that lets you rest Lowry, which I don't know how the Raptors do it without Fred in the lineup. I just don't know how you get Lowry minutes to rest tonight. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the um, interesting things to look at. Like, like, I think Lowry needs to be, at, at least tonight, like, he needs to be playing the full fourth quarter. Like, it's got to start with um, Lowry plus bench, probably, and then uh, and then he's just got to transition to playing with the starters and then close out that way. I mean, that's the way I would go. Uh, obviously, Casey and the Raptors staff have liked the idea of matching small, to close games, uh, which <laughs> there's a lot of um, disagreement with among fans, um, myself being one of them. Like, I think I really do think like it's pretty clear at this point that like the starters are the best unit that the Raptors have. I mean, I really think they should just be closing with that unit. But if they do that, like Lowry's got to play all those minutes. But I, th- I think that's just a consequence of Fred being out in the playoffs. Like, you just need you need more Lowry. You do, and. I know resting him was a big deal this season, but this is why you rest him. You rest him for these playoff minutes and like can't afford to lose this game. You have you lost the two games in Washington. You can't afford to go back there down three games to two. So if Kyle has to play 40 minutes, 42 minutes, that's just what has to happen because in this series, when he goes to the bench, everything kind of falls apart. And maybe that changes if you get Fred back, but even if Fred's back tonight, and the last I saw, he's listed as questionable, that just... Will he be himself? I have the numbers in front of me right now. The 45 minutes Lowry set this series. The Raptors have a minus 31.1 net rating. Yeah. It's, it's really bad. Yeah, it's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's really... Yeah, it's really depressing. <laughs> Uh, um, I mean, hey, you know what? The good, the good part of that is at least it changes the narrative on playoff Lowry, right? Well, that's the funny thing is, like the last two years, that was still the case too. Yeah, they were they were just good when he was on the court, bad when he was off the court. But people always want to talk about his shooting numbers. That's that's not really where I see Kyle Lowry's value as a player is just his scoring. Mm-hmm. He. <laughs> And this is like Fred Van Vliet does the same things as Kyle Lowry, which is what makes him valuable because the Raptors are built to have a guy who does that, who brings that intensity all the time. And like, there's nobody else who really fills that role aside from Lowry and Van Vliet. So, you know, you need somebody who can keep, and and this was one that bugged me reading a lot of the comments and things like that after game four was people were saying, you know, Jakob Pertl's not a good offensive player. He's, he's not an offensive player who makes himself good. He can be a useful offensive player, but he needs other guys helping him become good. Mm -hmm. 
And there's only so many guys on the Raptors who have that in their game, where they bring that out of another player. And so, you know, if Lowry's playing all of his minutes with the starters and you're using him with Valanciunas, which makes sense because Valanciunas is also one of your best players, then how do you also get that out of Pirtle without Van Vliet? And that's... I, I don't have all the answers here. I just think these are the questions that need to be answered. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it's it's crazy. Like, without Van Vliet out there, it's funny. He's like, it's almost like he's making more of a case for, his, for like, being six man. <laughs> it's just something that keeps popping in my head, even though that doesn't matter at all. But I keep thinking about it and how, like, the Raptors are relying on this undrafted 24-year-old um, in so many so many ways um and just that like you know like they they can't like they tried early on in the series to do the whole bench and like clearly they had to go away from that and like the DeRozan plus bench unit at least like last it hasn't been great it's been like okay at times like last game it just wasn't good at all um had like a negative 20 net rating I think um so yeah, it's you got to move towards just like changing, tightening the rotation, and I think Lowry and OG got to be eating up some more of those minutes. Like, like I, I wasn't as harsh on Casey necessarily, like in the from Game Four, the closing minutes, um, because like I, I mean, Pirtle was playing a little bit better in that fourth quarter, admittedly, than he has been. Um, even though Valanciunas obviously would be a better option and like, he's a like a terrifying pick and roll threat. Like he's finishing everything out of the pick and roll. Every time they go to it, it works. If they can actually get him rolling to the rim and hit him, like he's scoring pretty much every time. Um, but like, I I was so much more focused on the fact that DeRozan, um, seemed to feel like he had to take over offensively because of the lack of, of offensive threats on the, in the front court with like Pirtle, who's like an okay role man. Um, but like they weren't running much action at all. And like, you know, Pirtle was coming up to set screens, but other than that, it was pretty much, that's pretty much it. And like, the, and this wasn't the game either. Like DeRozan wasn't out here having like, you know, a, a, a fantastic game. Like he, he'd been missing jumpers all night long and, and stuff like that. So it became such a focus, like on that end that like, I almost forgot about what Casey was doing with the lineups. It was, it was so distracting. Well, and Pascal Siakam's been a little bit of a non-factor, and he's so important to that bench offense, too, because he has to be generating chaos somehow to be effective. And C.J. Miles just couldn't shoot in the games in Washington. No, although they they have been covering him a lot better since the first two games. So it's hard to address all of those things. Yeah. Um. At some point, DeMar does have to take over. That's why you have him. and that's yeah. A lot of his value is tied up in his on-ball value. He's not a great off-ball player. He's not a great defensive player. But you have, to, I, you have to get the defense moving because one of the Raptors' biggest strengths is they're a great offensive rebounding team. But when the defensive players are just standing there, mm-hmm. how are you going to get positioned to get an offensive rebound? they're always going to box you out if they don't have anything else to do. So you have to have off-ball movement or ball movement or something to get the defense moving because, and this one I feel like has been an issue for the Raptors for years, 
it's so much harder to do anything against a defense that isn't moving because they can't make a mistake if they aren't doing anything. Yeah. Washington's not that good of a defensive team. They're going to make mistakes if you put them in a position to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just... I'd like to see the Raptors doing that. Just ha- set an off-ball screen. Pirtle's a pretty good ske- screener. So is yeah. Siakam. Yeah. Um, but also, play better defense so you can get out on the run. That's also hurting the Raptors is... They aren't generating many transition opportunities right now. Yeah, that's been that's been one of the biggest issues. Um, uh, like, and you know, going off of like every single Raptors miss is basically resulting in like Wizards points. Like the Raptors will miss, and then the Wizards take it, and like they're gone. They're they're shot down to the other end, and they're scoring either on like a transition three or Wall is just you know terrorizing on the fast break. Um, it's it's been pretty brutal. Like the Wizards don't they they were a pretty moderate team in the regular season of attacking in transition, how often they did it, but they're really good at it when they actually do do it. I think they were they're like upper eighties in the percentiles. Um, so yeah, they're they're really good once they get out in transition, which is a problem because every time the Raptors miss, they're just getting out there. And then the Raptors they seem to be a little like all over the place and scrambling on defense. Um, in transition, which hasn't been great. There, there have been like pockets where the Raptors have played really well in transition, but like uh, in defense. But from like the last couple of games, it's just been like they just look lost on a lot of those possessions. Um, the I, starters have been really good, like you said earlier. Yeah, um, the starters have been and, good. And winning those minutes is important, but yeah. you either need a lot more of those minutes or you have to find a way to win some minutes without the starters on the floor. Yeah, I mean, like it would be such a it would be such a boon if uh, like the DeRozan plus bench minutes were were better. Um, like like it's one of those things. Like most of the hybrid lineups have been bad. Uh, anything with Ibaka and Pirtle front court has been bad. Um, but like yeah, and the starters have been good. But like and Lowry plus bench has been good. Um, but like outside of that, like. You do have to find something else. Like that's that's the kind of thing where like I uh, I understand um, a lot of fans' frustrations with Dwayne Casey and the coaching staff, but like at times like I mean they're trying a lot of things and like still not seeing the production they're trying to get out of it. So like you know y- you can you can say just we'll just stick to what works, um, but like what's been working has been like two lineups. So, yeah. you know, at some point they got to play other guys and they just, they, they got to produce. So it's about figuring out how you get those guys uh, to be more successful. Like Siakam, for example. Um, and what, uh, do you, like, what do you do about Norman Powell? He was supposed to be a big part, especially yeah. with Fred Van Vliet out. And all season, Casey kept trying different things to get Norm being productive. And they found some ways toward the end of the season. Yeah. And then in the playoffs, he's just kind of been a disaster because you don't want Norm to be a primary ball handler on the floor, but that's what they need right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew in game, was it game two or game three where they started putting Norm out in Fred's normal minutes beside DeLon? I knew that wasn't going to work because Fred is the steady hand. Mm-hmm. He's... 
he's the guy who controls the offense. That's not Norm at all. Nope. Not at all. <laughs> Norm erratic. puts the ball on the floor. It's a complete adventure. You might get brilliance. You might get an absolutely horrible possession. And you, you shouldn't depend on him for that. So if you're going to use Norm, you have to find a place where he can where you're not asking him to do something that's not in his game. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's it's one of those things, like, he's fallen out of the rotation now, obviously. Um, I thought that was one of the better things that Casey did, like, his last game was, um, in game four, was tighten the rotations more. Like, he didn't play any uh, Bebe minutes, didn't play any Norm minutes, didn't play any Lorenzo Brown minutes. I thought that was a good decision. Um, it It's one of those things, like, you're, it's kind of a risk every time you put him out there. Like there's a there's that slim chance that he might turn into Mil, like the norm from that Milwaukee series last year. But it's just like it's been a whole season of that guy just isn't there, and yep. it's it's one of those risks that like at this point, you know, like this game is huge. Like you said, like you can't lose this game. So you know that's a risk you probably aren't going to take. Um, even though he's he's one of the guy, few guys that like he can create his own shot and get his offense going and um, on his own and you know theoretically should be able to to make to have, do to do something to have some to make some kind of impact but it just hasn't he hasn't been able to do it yeah and I think one of the other things too is like Van Vliet he never he's so um, he's so calm and reassuring his presence and his leadership but also like he doesn't turn the ball over. And that is something that in this series it would be huge because the Raptors like just keep throwing it away right now, and it is so frustrating. Um, there's been a lot of like ever since the first two games after those games when the Wizards decided that trapping Lowry and DeRozan so aggressively clearly wasn't working because they know how to pass out of it, and they started lagging off of them a little bit more and giving them a bit more space, and DeRozan and Lowry kept forcing some passes that weren't there anyway. Uh, you know, they, they've they just, like, continued to do that. And it's just been a lot of a lot of transition points for the Wizards, which is a problem. Yeah, I, I'll give Scott Brooks some credit here. One thing he really did well is he picked up on the fact that the Raptors bench isn't working at all right now mm-hmm. and that they aren't good when the starters aren't out there. And he's switched where he uses wall and... Tried to find minute. Tried to find those places where the Casey's going to play the bench and put Wall and Porter or Wall and Beal or you know Wall and Mike Scott, who's been oh my god, can't miss a shot. Mike Scott. Um, and put those guys out there against the bench to capitalize on the bad Raptors minutes, and that's made things look much worse than they actually are for the Raptors bench too. Mm-hmm. So Casey has to has to find a way to those, you know, the end of the first, the end of the third, the beginning of the second, the beginning of the fourth, find something useful there that doesn't bleed massively. And you can bleed a little bit because the starters are winning their minutes, but you can't you can't be losing by 10 points over a two-minute stretch every night. No. No, you just can't. And, like, it's fresh, one of the most frustrating parts of Game 4, too, was, like, the Raptors... Obviously, like they were up late, and like they were they were tied up until the last couple minutes. Um, they were they like lost the lead, but they had like you know when the Lowry and Bench unit was in early in the fourth, like that it worked. Um, to get they went on like a mini run, and then the Wizards called a timeout. 
and then things slowly started to fall apart after that. Um, but like you know, like even when the Raptors haven't been playing, like they're playing basically like as bad as they can almost right now. Um, they just look a lot like discombobulated a lot after those first two games, and um, they like you know they're still in these games. Like obviously, like they ended up just letting Game Three go get out of their hands but like they were still had the chance to win game four like they weren't playing particularly well even though I thought Casey coached like a a perfect first half um and it was a tough it was a tough one still but like they were fighting and like they were up like eight just like you know early in the fourth like these like they still should have probably pulled out that game but they just uh they just couldn't do it ended up throwing it away and Mike Scott by the way He's shooting 69% from the field right now. It, yeah, it was 90-82 with seven and a half minutes to go. Yeah. And then, like, the rest of the way was a 24-8 Wizards run. Yeah. And somehow the Raptors have to get away from playing Serge Ibaka and Jakob Pertl together because it has never worked all yep. season. Yep. And that's what we decided to close the game with, and it didn't work. Yeah, I mean, Pirtle's yeah. a really nice player, but you can't play him 15 minutes straight to close a game. Mm-hmm. Especially not when Jonas is also a really good player, and you have him and, I mean, I don't know if OG was healthy, but those two guys sitting on the bench who just make so much more sense when you have Lowry, DeRozan, and Ibaka out there. Yeah. So... The other one that Dan Hackett and I were talking about this on on Twitter yesterday, if Jonas Valanciunas is not going to close and he's not going to play more than like mid-20s minutes, Mm -hmm. his foul trouble doesn't matter. Yeah. If he picks up two fouls in the first three minutes, that that should not be an issue. You're not going to play him a lot. You're not going to play him to close. Use his six fouls. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird. I don't really, I never, I'm always confused <laughs> by the way that Valanciunas has been used. Like his whole Raptors career has just been kind of weird, um, in that regard. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the case for having him out there, it makes a lot of sense. And, and like OG too, like he hasn't played any fourth quarter minutes at all, OG, um, which to me is like kind of crazy because like, I feel like most of us thought even before this series that like OG should probably be closing against this team uh, and most teams because he's our best defender and uh, he's almost always suited best to guarding whoever the opponent's best player is. And uh, like he's been, he's been really good when he's been guarding John wall. Um, Yeah. There's, there's no argument against it that I could see aside from maybe he's not healthy now. Yeah, I guess so. It it's weird because like, like even in the games where he wasn't healthy, it wasn't happening. Obviously, they won the first two games, so it didn't really matter, I guess. Uh, but yeah, like now their health comes into it. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I know a little less so last night. Maybe a couple times. Like sometimes he gets caught on a screen or two um, when when he seems this way. But like, I know in game three, like he was gassed after a little while, because um, he's not used to playing so many minutes. Um, he's, he was like, you know, they basically, like, 
kept him around 20-ish max. Uh, well, also it plays a part that I don't think Markeith Morris and Mark Chin Gortat have set a single legal screen in the entire series. <laughs> no, which, by the way, it's so frustrating seeing, like, like, I know, like, I don't really, I don't tweet this as much when I'm, like, watching the games because I know I'm just going to get, like, berated for it. And, like, I don't really, like, want to talk about officiating too much. I did it, like, once this season and, like, that was enough. Um, but, like, Pirtle gets called for so many ticky-tack calls. And it's not, like, it's not like it started in this playoff series. Like, it was all season long. He gets a lot of ticky-tack fouls. And, like, he'd be getting so many, like, uh calls for like legal screens and i'm like but what, like have you been watching the wizards like every screen they set is like illegal um, my this is my issue with purtle's fouls is it's most of the things he gets called for are technically fouls <laughs> and they're also things that like 95 percent of the guys in the league will never get called for yeah uh, so yeah. it's by the book yeah it's a foul but mm-hmm. the way nobody sets screens legally not a single guy in the league does. Yeah. Like, Kevin Garnett wouldn't have had a friggin' career. Exactly. <laughs> so, I it's so frustrating watching the way Gortat Tat sets screens because he has not set a legal screen in the series, and yet the Raptors are the ones getting called for illegal screens. Yeah, it is. It's really frustrating. Like, I keep noticing it, and I'm like, sitting here like, oh, okay, like, I'm not going to tweet about it. I keep resisting tweeting about it, but it is so annoying. Um, he gets, he just gets called for so many things. And like, you know, that's kind of become part of his reputation is like that he's a, he fouls a lot. He just fouls a lot. And like the Raptors as a team foul a lot. And like, we've had foul trouble the last couple of games. Um, but yeah, a lot of those fouls are like, yeah, like ticky tack calls, like, like bumps, like little bumps or whatever here or there. Like, I don't know. Sometimes even down when he's down in the post, like he'll be like fairly straight up and still get calls. And I don't know. I don't know. The, the one on Steph in the first Wizards or the first Warriors game, when he had the beautiful closeout on Steph late in the game and got called for it, it was just like, yeah, that, that one always sticks in my mind. But hey, we've got Mark Davis as the lead referee tonight, so I'm sure oh, it'll be fine. Yeah, somebody's getting ejected tonight. I was like, I was talking about, uh, what was it? I was on a podcast a little bit ago with uh, one of the Raptors, Rapture guys, and um, and uh, somebody from Bullets Forever. And like we were just talking about like how it's been amazing that like there's been a couple scuffles and stuff, but none of them have been Morris and Ibaka. But now that... Mark Davis is refing tonight. Like I, I feel like it's almost a guarantee that tonight is the night that Ibaka and Morris are just gonna, like gonna go fifty cuffs. Ibaka scares me so much with Mark Davis because he wants to fight everybody in the league. Yep, <laughs> he really does. I, I don't, I don't like focusing on the officiating, and I feel like people do too much. Mm-hmm. And I tweet about it sometimes, but like. The games the Raptors have lost, they've lost, honestly. The games they've won, they've won, honestly. Even though in most of those games, both teams probably had a case for complaining about the refs. Yeah. Because the refs have been bad. They haven't been biased. They've just been bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a case in a lot of a lot of games. Like, you can, you can almost always, like, look at a narrative from both sides. Um, you know. But... Bradley Beal fouled out in Game Four on an absolutely terrible call. Oh yeah, yeah, that was that was a terrible call. He was just standing there, like he didn't he didn't do anything. He literally just stood there, and then DeRozan like 
you know, rebounded and, and kind of like ran into him and he just fell over. Like, he didn't foul him. If the Wizards had lost that game, they would have had a completely legitimate complaint on that call. Yeah, plus it, he, was, he was killing us too. Like, he was, like, he had like 30 something points at that point, right? In a weird way, I actually think that that worked in their favor because they rallied around the bad call and that yeah. helped them sort of build to the win. But sure. it, it was a mess. And I hope tonight Mark Davis isn't part of the story. I yeah. wouldn't bet that he's not going to be. Yeah. Uh, I, I hope so as well. But, man, I, I don't know. Um, after watching that one game, I, that game was the game, the OKC game. That was, yeah. the, that was the game that like, you know, that's like a, it's kind of a weird turning point in the Raptors season in some, in some ways. Um, but yeah, Casey, that, Casey getting ejected for a fan yelling at the ref. Yeah. That's hilarious. I'll, I'll never forget that. That's so funny. Uh, and he didn't say anything about it. I thought like Casey handled that so well. He was just he just took it and was like, "Yep, yeah, we'll complain in the proper way." Whereas like DeRozan, DeRozan's <laughs> like, "This is bullshit. Like, this is just garbage." And I was like, "Yeah, he's he's right. He's kind of right, but also he's gonna get fined." <laughs> Tonight, the Raptors just have to not play to the refs, and that concerns me too because they do get caught up in doing that sometimes. Yeah, um, well, I was, I was, you know, like late on some of those shots late uh, in Game Four, like DeRozan had that one spin into the lane. Like he had a couple of those earlier, and he just like was putting Wizards in the spin cycle. He had that one near the end, and like he got hit, like going to the rim, and uh, they didn't call it. And like I understand, like that's got to be frustrating, especially when you're like a star on you know the first place Eastern Conference team. You'd probably feel like you should be getting those calls, but yeah, like you can't, you can't. You can't fall victim to the to the non calls like the Raptors have in the past. Well, the big thing is like they miss the refs are gonna miss calls. Yep. But if they miss a call, you have to get back on defense right away. Yep. You can't be caught up at the other end of the court talking to the ref about the call that they missed because you're gonna be given up a bucket at the other end, and that has hurt the Raptors in the past. Um. But I'm I'm not as concerned about that tonight. I'm just the Raptors are a good home team and i keep coming back to that the best home net rating in the league all season long they're back at the acc they should win yeah they should um yeah i mean yeah i i was was surprised they lost game four i mean somewhat surprised i was decently surprised they lost game four they have to win tonight like we've said i think they'll win they'll win tonight um, I picked them in five, so that that that's totally gone. Um, <laughs> that is just out the window now. Um, I had five as well. Yeah, I think a lot of us did. Five or five or six. The people who have six still have a chance. Um, On the plus side, the indie Cleveland series is currently a mess too, so we aren't going to be facing a rested opponent in the next round. Yeah, that's that's a good sign. I'm I'm hoping that series goes to seven just for the extra time and. Uh, also because that way LeBron's played like 400 minutes in the first round. Yeah. Cause like, I, I do think the Pacers have a chance to win that series, but like they've kind of had a couple games now where like the ones they've lost, they probably almost like they should have won almost like if it wasn't for Kyle Corver, Cal Corver going off in the last game, 
they might be up 3-1, so. And in the in their first loss, they shot, like, 18% on jump shots or something, mm-hmm. and they lost by two points. Yeah. Um, like, if they could have hit a jump shot mm-hmm. in the games they lost, they would have... They'd be up in the series, and they should be up in the series because they've been the better team. Yeah, I think LeBron. So I, I think LeBron looks tired, man. He he absolutely does. He's not, he hasn't played eighty two games in how many years, and yeah. he's not young. No, uh, yeah, but I think, but if the if it does go seven, I think the Cavs are moving on. Like, I don't think you beat LeBron in a game seven. No, I would agree with that. This is where I come back to for the Raptors. If they get out of this series, I still think things are set up pretty well for them to go to the finals. Yeah. They should be favored against Cleveland or Indiana, especially if whoever comes out of that series is tired. Is tired, And both of those teams rely on their stars way more than the Raptors do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Oladipo's plant take carrying a huge load. LeBron's carrying a huge load. LeBron and Kyle aren't carrying... I mean, DeMar and Kyle aren't carrying that kind of load for the Raptors this year. No. And then you get to the ECF, you're probably seeing Philly, but that's still a young Philly team, and the Raptors have matched up pretty well this year. Yeah, I think, like, like there's a, there's a chance. Um, there's a, a route in which this series is actually good for Toronto that they, they struggle a little bit now and then they rally and regroup and close out this series. And then, you know, going into the next one, they've already tasted a little bit of that ad- adversity and uh, they're ready for whoever's next because there, there isn't going to be any uh, pushover teams on this path uh, this season because um, all the teams are pretty much like, like it's pretty wide open in the East for the most part. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with that. Like, I was really impressed with Philly's uh, three, you know, four-one series win over Miami, um, especially because like, like Miami doesn't have that, uh, except for one game when they got vintage Wade. But they they don't have that star player that can take them where they need to go. But they are super physical, and they'll basically just like try to grind you down. And uh, for a young team, sometimes you know that gets in your head and stuff. But it didn't for. Uh, Philadelphia so I was impressed with them but yeah I do think they they do some things that like Toronto is good at uh, is good at capitalizing on so I'm not terrified of them um but yeah but I, I think I'm I think I'd be more concerned about them than any other team for me it, I mean just to come back to my article it, it comes back to the Fred has to be healthy and yeah everything for the Raptors to me comes back to Fred has to be healthy for them to be the team they they can be. Yeah. And, you know, without him, your transitional lineups aren't going to be as good, which is going to hurt you against LeBron because he's going to win those minutes. Your bench minutes aren't going to be as good, which is going to hurt you against a team like Philly. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, he opens up so much for everybody else that I, it should make me uncomfortable relying that much on an undrafted guy who's in his second season <laughs> yeah but you know over the season he's just proven that's who he is mm-hmm. so i i love fred and i'm gonna be really sad if he leaves this summer yeah i don't i feel weird but thinking about i i feel pretty weird thinking about like off-season stuff during the playoffs sometimes but like 
Uh, my thoughts do occasionally go there about Fred. Um, I, I think I think it's the most likely scenario is that he's back with Toronto. Um, and thankfully, like, the, where the market is this summer with the cap uh, pretty much staying even, um, I think that's actually, like, works out for us pretty well with Fred being restricted. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there's a chance that he leaves. And if he does leave, that's sad. Um, if he leaves, I got to hope he's getting paid because that guy deserves a bigger contract. Um, it's his betting on himself thing is one of my favorite things about this season. Um, all his personal gear and stuff. Did you have you bought anything from his website? I haven't yet. I want to though before the before we get to the end of the year. Yeah, I th- the arenas rule also works pretty well for us for keeping him because he's limited on how much he can make in the first two years of his next contract, and that lines up pretty well with you know Kyle and Demar and yeah. Serge's contracts, and then the Raptors can absorb more money after that anyways because you know Lowry's next contract isn't going to be. $30 million a year. Yeah. I expect. Yeah. Uh, uh, I can't imagine it is. So I think there's a good chance they keep, they keep him. I think, and again, like I try not to focus too much on the off season stuff myself, yeah. but it's hard not to think about this. I, yeah. I really think the Raptors are going to do something at the draft to try to keep under the tax while they keep them, whether that's mm-hmm. moving norm or CJ or, some Raptors fans are going to be mad about this, but Jonas. Yeah, that would be interesting. I, I, I think Norm is the most likely to move, if we had to guess right now. Um, I think Bebe might be gone, too, depending on what they what that looks like market-wise. Um, the Jonas thing is interesting, but, yeah, you got to have a have a pretty good plan of where to go, where you're, where you're trying to go with that. Uh, if you do get rid of him, because he's been so good this season for us, um, he's just he's improved so so much in this current system as well, and the chemistry is there. And yeah, I think if you could move Norm, you move Norm. If yeah. you can move Surge, you think about it. Both of those contracts are not going to be the easiest to move. Surge has been better in the playoffs, but like. You still have to play an 82-game regular season, and he's not a guy who plays great when you have three and four, four and five. He, that yeah. stretch at the end of the season, he really fell apart when they had to play a lot of games in quick succession. Yeah, even the last, like, like to start the playoffs, they had a little bit more extra time. Like, they had, like, an extra day or something. Like, they are having, like, what was it, like, three days between games or whatever? Um, and, like, he, was, he looked amazing in those first two games. And, like, he's still been... Um, good, but he hasn't been as good as he was to start, and like the time has shortened a little bit between games. I wonder if that is affecting him at all. It's, I mean, his numbers all season have been the more rest he gets, the better he is, and yeah. that's. He's only twenty eight. It shouldn't be that case, and I don't. I, I don't buy all the conspiracy theories that he's secretly in his thirties or something <laughs> like that. I think he probably. You know, I believe that he's 28. Yeah. But his body's also taken a lot of punishment. He's played pretty much his whole career for playoff teams. Mm-hmm. One weird season in Orlando aside. Yeah. He's that's like the Thon McCure uh, theory, I guess. The we don't know how old he really is conspiracy. I think they're. I think those are funny to talk about. Yeah. But I don't really buy them. Yeah. So. 
I don't, I don't, I don't believe it either. I believe he's 28. I mean, like, he knows what Snapchat is. He's not that old. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Van Vliet, we miss him. He needs to come back. Um, looking towards game five, I doubt we're going to have him still. Um, once I learned that that was a separated shoulder, like, my concern for him went much higher and it makes a lot it made a lot more sense to me how he looked when he was out there now that I know it's a separated shoulder and not like you know they started off saying it was a bruise and then it was it's a sprain and now we know he separated it that's Um, sort of the Raptors history for dealing with injuries too yeah unfortunately they and this is something that I've had a few Twitter conversations about and I've talked to a few people about it's the Raptors over the last couple seasons do not have the best history with injury guys, both in terms of how they report them mm-hmm. and bringing guys back too early. I mean, you talk about Kyle's elbow last year. Yeah. Everything Damari Carroll went through while he was a Raptor. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though I think Fred's not back tonight, if he was back tonight, I'm not sure how much I would trust that it was because he was healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they they let him go when he clearly wasn't. Um, obviously, it was most like they didn't want to. He was fighting for that shot. Um, and Casey pulled him real fast once he realized that, yeah, he doesn't he's not looking right. Um, so at least at least props to them there that, you know, they've kept Van Vliet out this time to make sure he gets right, because that's obviously the most important thing. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Um and honestly, if I was an NBA player, if I looked at what Isaiah Thomas has been through over the last 12 months, mm-hmm. I'd be pretty reluctant to force myself to play if I knew I was hurting too. Well, that's the whole thing with Kawhi Leonard, right? Like a lot of people are thinking that his camp is after watching the whole Isaiah Thomas thing. And like a lot of injured players will be doing this now um, that, you know, it's not worth it. Um, after watching what happened to him to come back and play through that injury, because you know, loyalty is not a thing in in between players and organizations. No, I it Isaiah Thomas lost a lot of money because he decided to play those playoff games. Yeah, and he's going to go into this summer a free agent. I don't think he's going to get a very big contract. No, and that's a guy who was getting MVP votes just a season ago. Mm-hmm. That that sucks. And for Fred as a free agent this summer, if he forces himself to play game five or game six. And then that shoulder gets hit again, and he separates it again, or worse. Yeah. He could lose a lot of money. Yeah, So it's true. And as much as I'd love Fred back, I don't want him to hurt himself either. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, definitely want him back healthy. Um, I mean, he's also... Uh, He's still he's still young for sure. He I, he heal a little quicker maybe, but um, yeah, like I I don't know. He's he's got to get healthy first. I'd much rather have the Raptors maybe go through some struggles and um, come through this series without Van Vliet um, having to fight a little bit more, and then uh, maybe figure some things out about themselves, and then go into the second round and have Van Vliet come back at some point during the second round if possible. Um, that that seems to be okay for me. I mean, the Raptors, like, you know, all the talk about they need Van Vliet, 
Uh, at some point, yeah, they do. But I don't, I don't think they need him in this series. They won the first two games without him. They can win this series without him. Um, so the idea of, you know, we need him there, it's, it's a little bit of a dangerous idea. I think it's more the fans and the team is actually thinking that. But, um, yeah, like, at, they, they should be able to win this series without him. But, yep, they are going to need him going forward for sure. I've had a couple of Raptors writers say to me privately that they actually think it's a good thing that the Raptors are struggling a little bit in this series. But I've had a couple people suggest that, you know, working your way through something before you get to Cleveland and Philly might be good for this team in the long run because you you don't want to be making these mistakes and getting away with them once yeah. you hit LeBron. Yeah. And I don't I go both ways. Like I struggle with that because I also thought the rest would have been really valuable for Lowry and Ibaka specifically if they had gotten out of the first round quickly. Mm-hmm. But I do see that argument too. Yeah, I mean like we kind of saw a thing with that like um was it just the last season where uh the Cavs blew through the East um but they started off with uh against the Pacers and like that was a really it was a sweep but it was a really close series the whole way through they had to they had to fight to win all those games and the games were close um and a lot of people thought at that part of the reason they just went you know destroying the east after that was because they had a bit of a a bit of a challenge in the first round so they were they already had it all turned on as ready to go um and they just they just whipped the way through the rest of the east so sometimes challenges early on are good things yeah and it's not you don't have to carry all the baggage from one series with you into the next one. Mm-hmm. So Washington's a, a different challenge than a lot of other teams in the East. I think, you know, Washington and Miami were probably two of the most physical teams in the East that made the playoffs. Yeah. Um, I wanted the Bucks personally. I thought the Bucks would have been the easiest series for the Raptors because I liked the matchup and the Bucks are kind of a mess. Yeah. Yeah. But I would have agreed with that. I would have picked the Bucks if I'd got if I'd had to pick. Just because of how like just how badly they ended the season. Like uh I mean they didn't they weren't great throughout the season, but like the last like month or so, just watching them was like a, such a chore. Because they have the talent and yet I mean they're down right now. Uh they lost to Boston last night. So they're down uh Three two in that series, um, which they, like they should win, honestly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the Raptors would be good. Plus, the Raptors have confidence against the Bucks. Like they beat them in series before. DeRozan dropped his fifty two this season on the Bucks, so you know. If I if I had to pick where Jerry Stackhouse goes when he leaves the nine hundred five, it would be the Bucks because I think he would turn that team into a real contender. Yeah, he could. That's really what they need is they just need good coaching. Um, yeah, uh, that's kind of terrifying to think about. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd be happy for him if he went there and it was super successful, but I would also be uh, also be terrified, um, which is why, like, this, this postseason has seems so important to me because, like, there are other teams that are coming. Like, Boston's going to be much better next year and won't have this many injuries probably. Uh, Philadelphia is, like, kind of already here, but they're going to keep getting better and probably add some more pieces that are a bit better. Like, 
their backup. Like, like I love Amir Johnson, but you know, they need somebody better in that spot going forward. Um, they have a max slot this summer. Yeah, and they have a max slot. So, like, you know, already fire up the fire up the trade machine and start looking for trades for Kawhi Leonard or Paul George because that's already happening. Um, and they, you know, they're still in the playoffs, but <laughs> people are already talking about that. Uh, or LeBron even. So, uh, yeah, I agree. The East gets scarier. DeRozan gets another year older. Um, Kyle gets another year older. Serge gets another year older. The Raptors have a lot of young guys on the back end, and I think you know Pirtle and Siakam and an OG are going to get a lot better. Yeah, I think those three guys in particular, I mm-hmm. see potential to be at the very least solid NBA starters. Yeah, but the Raptors are still going to be built around Lowry and DeRozan next year. Yeah, so. I think this year is the window to make the finals. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm in. I'm in agreement. I think this is the year, um, and everything has fallen pretty much as perfectly as you could ask for. So you know, there's no excuses that 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 way. Um, this is this is pretty much the window that like, if you like presented this window at the beginning of the season, like every Raptors fan would take it. This is the best shot we have of. Uh, of getting to the finals. We're probably not going to, if we make it to the final, like I, I, I'm always at the mindset that if you make it to the finals, anything can happen. But, um, if they, if they do make it to the finals, it's not likely they're probably going to win it. But I think like getting to the finals would probably be enough for this fan base for this season. I've, I think every once in a while, if they did make the finals, would I rather see golden state or Houston there? Mm. And I think Houston, but I I'm not even sure about that. I mean, they just dropped a 50-point quarter on Minnesota. Mm-hmm. That Houston offense is so terrifying. Mm-hmm. And Golden State has looked maybe a little vulnerable this year, but, I mean, they're both terrible options, really. Yeah, neither one's great, and I think the Raptors aren't favorite to play either of them. If we play Golden State, we have home court advantage, uh, which is pretty useful. Um if it was even and I had to pick, I'd probably still take Houston, but that's assuming that Steph comes back and looks like Steph. Um, he obviously hasn't played yet in the first round, which is, you know, the Warriors closed out their series last night too. Um, they still have this guy named Kevin Durant, and he's pretty good. <laughs> so, you know, uh, that team, pretty good team. They're a little, they're a little thinner um, than in years past, but, you know, they've got four all-stars, so... They're not hurting too much, and then the Rockets, yeah, they got a, they got that cra- the crazy Mori Ball offense of just hyper efficiency, and Harden's having one hell of a year, even though uh, there has been uh, a blueprint in some ways that Minnesota has shown to um, to make Harden fight for uh, for buckets, but you know, it's it's tough because you take the ball out of his hands, and I mean. Uh, they like to stagger Chris Paul and James Harden, but uh, you know you can you can put Paul out there if you need to, and if you take if they're having trouble with Harden having the ball in his hands, he's getting trapped and stuff or something. I mean, you have CP3 there to use as well. So, and he's had he's also had some crazy stretches during this both season where he just takes over and what do you do? Yeah, um, he's still good. I, I don't I don't I don't like I never liked the narrative of CP3 is a choker and he he's not good because he can't make 
the you know Western Conference Finals or whatever. Like I think that's a dumb narrative, but uh, I I think for know. a lot of Raptors fans, that one hits a little too close to home. Yeah, because we have the same narrative with our guys, and I it's true. I also feel kind of the same way about Demar and Kyle in the playoffs. I feel like they have struggled. And also, maybe the narratives are a little oversold. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. At least in terms of, like, what they've actually uh, produced in the end. Like, they made the conference finals and took two games off Cleveland. Um, That happened. I mean, they didn't look good when they were doing it, but they did it. And they played that whole series pretty much without Jonas, who was their best player for the first 10 games of the playoffs. And last year when they lost in four to Cleveland, they barely had a functional Kyle Lowry in the series. They haven't played a healthy series against Cleveland yet. Nope. And that's that's one of the things about Lowry too, is like just in general, like why everybody's so hyped about him getting the rest this year is because like every season he comes into the playoffs injured every single time. And this is the best Toronto team and the worst Cleveland team. So I'm a, I'm a believer that Toronto can get past LeBron if that's what happens in the next round. Of yeah. course, you know, have to close out Washington. Yeah. I just think this series is still a Raptors win. I don't buy that they're losing the series yet. I, I'm worried about tonight. <laughs> yeah, if they lose tonight, oh my goodness, it's going to be just crazy hell. You know what? This is the, this is. The, Something I've been thinking about. Uh, you know how MLSE, um, they're putting on, like, the Raptors are going to have the big screen uh, for people to go watch. And uh, the Leafs are also going to be on because they're playing their Game 7 tonight in Boston. And, and TFC, too. And TFC. Yep, and there's also a Jays game tonight at 7. Uh, so there's, like, like, all Toronto sports. But, like, if you have a bunch of Raptors fans and Leafs fans in the same place, and if the Leafs lose Game 7, and if the Raptors lose Game 5, like, I do not want to be in Toronto tonight. (laughs) That's terrifying. Like, there's going to be, like, riots or something. I don't know. And, like, even, like... Is that worse than if you end up with one really mad fan base and one really happy one? It might be, yeah. Like, the combinations aren't great either. Because, like, even when, like, some teams win, like, the fans, like, basically riot anyway. Like, if the Leafs win Game 7, their fans might just be going ballistic anyways. Uh, so it almost might not matter if the Raptors win or lose Game 5. But, uh, yeah. But if I, they, I think if they both lose, that's going to be the worst-case scenario. I'm not, in, like, I'm not actually a Leafs fan. Um I'm not from Toronto. I'm a Raptors fan, but mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not from Toronto. So it's just, but I get the way those Leafs fans feel because I understand the history of the franchise. And yeah, if they lose, if they lose tonight, if they win tonight, it's going to be insane for Leafs fans. Yeah. It's going to be huge. Um, they were down. Like, I don't, I don't really follow NHL either. I'm not, I'm not a hockey guy. I'm not a Leafs fan either, but, um, I think they were down like what, like three one or something, right? So yeah, they were down three games to one. And I've heard a lot of Leafs fans talking about how amazing it would be to be the team that comes back from three one against Boston. Yeah, and they just lost to Boston. Like I, I feel like there was a long ago. I could be totally wrong, but it was like a few years ago. They had they were playing Boston in the first round and they lost the game seven. So yeah, could be redemption there. But um, yeah, so Raptors game five tonight. Um, Without Van Vliet, probably. 
I'm, I'm, I'm interested if they're going to use, like, if the Raptors, like, if they're really so focused on closing small or just going small in general, which I, I still don't really think is the great the greatest idea. Like, I've been preaching since the beginning, like, before this series, that, like, size is the advantage because the Wizards aren't, they're not a good rebounding team, and they're not, except for offensively, at least in this series, um, and they're, they're not a good rim-protecting team, and they're not good at stopping points in the paint. Um, so whatever. I'd prefer going the size way. But if the Raptors do want to fight small, um, do you think we should be seeing more of Siakam? Because Blake wrote this great thing today on Raptors Republic about him guarding Wall. Um, and that was, that was fun to see in Game 4. Yeah, I think I'd like to see Wall facing... You know, OG as much as possible. Yeah. DeLon for some minutes. And then if those two guys aren't there, I think Siakam's your next guy for defending John Wall. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see them take advantage of him more. I'm still not a fan of the small look, though. Um, yeah. Same. And Siakam and Jonas haven't been that great together this year, so I don't really know how you buy those minutes unless you want to go starters with Pirtle and Siakam, but again, you have to be getting more minutes for your best offensive players because you have to score. Yeah. And that's Valanciunas. So it's, there's a little bit of a logistical problem there for me for putting Siakam on wall. Maybe if Brooks continues to go wall against the Raptors bench, that's where you do it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could see that. It, it does become a little bit tougher. Um, it's one of those things, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure. Because I, I, I really do think Valanciuna should be getting the more minutes or the minutes um, he deserves. Like, obviously, there's been the foul trouble and, like, had some defensive issues, like, both of which are things that have gotten him pulled. But, like, it's not like many of the other options have been a lot better. So... I don't know. Plus, like, I think Valanciunas actually hasn't been as bad defensively as some people are making it out to be. Like, like early on in the series, he was great. But, like, a lot of it's because, like, of, um, you know, a couple times it's been overreactions to shooting. But, like, if the guards, uh, the perimeter players can keep um, guys at bay for the most part, or at least funnel them, uh, then usually Valanciunas is fine. It's just it's always when when he takes that extra step out to come help, and um, when the plays already when uh, the Raptors defenders already been broken down a little bit, and then Gortat literally just stands there and waits for the pass because he knows he can just lay it in, and Valanciunas isn't fast enough to recover on those. Um, this has been one of my things all season: is Raptors fans see a point guard hitting a layup over the center at the rim, mm-hmm. and they say, you know. Oh, terrible defensive play by Valanciunas or Pirtle or Bebe. Yeah. But if, you know, the opposing point guard is meeting your center at the rim, half the battle's already been lost. Yeah. And, you know, the guys on the perimeter have to keep guys in front of them. That's something that when the Raptors do it, they're great this season. When they don't, their defense is a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not great at helping the helper when the center has to help, which gives up, creates a lot of offensive rebounds for the opponent. And Jonas isn't going to be the best rim protector. Wall's great at hitting layups over centers. So 
you have to stop him before he gets there, or at least slow him down. Direct him into the help instead of just giving him that straight lane. And that's that's something that I think is really important for how they defend him. I'm a little concerned about Porter, too. He hasn't hurt the Raptors that much yet this series. Mm-hmm. But a big Porter game could cost the Raptors a game, too. Yeah. Kind of waiting for Porter. It, it's weird because, like, the... They've made up for that kind of stuff with, like, Mike Scott being just, like, blistering hot and, like, Ty Lawson surprisingly doing some things and uh, just, like, random guys off their bench. Uh, yeah, but um, Porter's one of those guys that, like, he's a really good shooter. He was really good all season. And, like, for what he does, what he provides, he's a good player. And uh, getting him going would be – that would be kind of scary. Um yeah, he's pretty much been invisible for the most part. Like he's been good defensively, but uh, for the most part, yeah, he's been he's been uh, he's been pretty pretty whatever. Like it's which is weird to think about. Like I, I'd say Kelly Oubre has been like probably I don't know if third best player. Like like Mike Scott might be their third best player right now. I uh, <laughs> I don't even know what to like. It, it's crazy how good he is. Mike Scott is not this good of a player, but no. the Raptors can't seem to slow him down, and I, I don't understand, but... It's really confusing. Like, when I start thinking about it, like, Ubre had that one... Um, was really good in Game 3. Uh, pretty good last last game. He uh, He's really good in transition, which, like, again, they don't get... They don't get a lot of opportunity to do that for him. Um, but in this series, the last couple of games, he has been. So he's been like, and I also think it engages him more on the defensive end too. So like he's been, he's been playing better. But like even with that and with Porter not scoring so well, um, I do think that it really might be Mike Scott's the third best player. That's so, that's so weird to think about. Oh my God. He's shooting like 60%. The good news is that Hopefully, at some point, that's got to fall off. At some point. You'd think, but over the course of a seven-game series, a guy who gets hot can stay hot. It's true. Can. So. Uh, it's, it's a little concerning. It's like, I don't know. The, like, every time, that when the Raptors in Game 3 started overreacting to Wall hitting some mid-range jumpers, like, that, that ended up pretty much like, you know, that, that was what sent them into discombobulation in that game. And... <laughs> You know, you want, like, John Wall shooting those because he's not a really great shooter in the mid-range. And, like, even if he starts hitting some, like, those are still the shots you're going to take, you know? I I completely agree. On defense, we focus too much on results. Yeah. And uh, the Raptors should just get back to that. Let Beal shoot. Let Beal and Wall shoot 10, 15, 20 mid-range jumpers if that's what they want to do. And if you lose because they hit those mid-range jumpers, then you lose because of that. Yeah. But you're less likely to lose because they're shooting 70% from mid-range than they're hitting a lot of open threes and finding shots at the rim. If you can shut down the rim, you can shut down the three-point line. You should win the game. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things with defense. Like, you can't, you just, there are some shots you just have to take. Like, you can't, you can't, you literally can't defend everything. Um, like as much as people want to say like, oh, like he, you know, they did really great defense up until this point or whatever. And like, or, you know, they're letting them take these shots in the mid range or whatever. Like, like 
there, you just you can't defend everything. Like there's some stuff you you just have to take. And like in this series, it should be mid range jumpers from Wall and Beal. Like those are the looks you want to you want to give them. If they do get hot on it, yeah, like so be it. Um, but you know it's much more important to take away uh, the three pointers. Like you don't want Beal getting hot or Porter starting to get hot from three. Um, or and you and you definitely don't want. Uh, a lot of shots at the rim, which has been a bit of a struggle. So, you know, that that's the kind of stuff you want to try and take away. And then, you know, if they're going to beat you the other way, then I guess that's it. Like you just, you can't, you can't blame them if the, the wizards start hitting those shots. Like it's just the, it's just the way it is. They can't, they can't defend literally everything. They have a scheme and they, they need to stick to it and not overreact. I haven't, this is one that I was considering writing about, but I haven't yet. What do you think about DeMar's defense so far in this series? In this series, uh, spotty, like usual. Uh, not great. Um, like, he started the season, like, playing, like, pretty good defense for him. Better defense for him. Um, and then, like, you know, towards the end of the season, it kind of, it just fell off. And he's not good. Um but it's it's really it's weird. He's it's weird watching him sometimes. Like there'll be a a possession here or there where he just locks in and he like and he becomes a good defender and he looks good and you're like, okay, where did that come from? And then the next possession, he just like stands there and somebody blows by him or you know or somebody just like he's just not looking in the right spot or something. It's weird. Like I don't, I, I'm always confused by his defense and I never really know how to feel like when because everyone always says. Well, he's just a bad defender, and like a lot of the time, yeah, he kind of is. But like, he knows how to be a good defender. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure exactly what it is, and it's obviously not like. It's not like I. I would never ever accuse DeRozan of not trying hard because literally that's his, like everything for him is his work ethic and trying and um, he oh and he really wants to win. He's that guy. But yeah, I. I don't know. I am. I've... I've spent actually years trying to figure this out with DeMar is because he can look like a good defender and then he can look like he's not interested, but he he wants to win. That's who he is. So how do you reconcile that with these defensive plays where he just like loses the man he's should be guarding or he's standing in the middle of nowhere. And I don't know whether he gets, he gets too caught up in thinking about the last offensive possession maybe or something like that. But I've always been a believer that you can be a, you can get away with a bad defender much easier than you can get away with an inattentive defender. Yeah. And like if DeRozan's struggling on defense because he's just not that capable, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. But if he's not paying attention, that's a much bigger problem. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think we've seen a little bit of the second with him in the series, especially during the rare moments where he's been asked to guard Beal. Yeah. That's been a problem. But yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know how much you can get away with that against Washington. I know you can't get away with that against Cleveland. No, and you definitely can't get away with that against Philly because I'm assuming he's going to be the one guarding JJ Redick. Yeah, yeah, probably. At least so. Redick or Covington, and neither one of those is a guy you really want sitting open. So that's something I'm going to be keeping an eye on. I 
I always struggle to write about DeMar's defense, though, because people get so defensive one way or the other because he does carry a massive offensive load, and that matters, and it's hard to do that and be a great defender. Yeah, yeah. I always find that that argument's a little weird to me. Um, you know, but whatever. I guess, I guess, I guess it is a thing, but also, like, uh, I don't really, I don't think, like, that should be much of an excuse. Like, you're on the floor to play both ends, like, you know. I mean, it's, it's part of basketball. Like, you can't, you can't excuse a guy not playing good defense just because they, they score a lot. Like, even if, even if it is, like, them handling a big offensive load, like, it, it's still half the game. Like, they still got to play defense. Yeah, I I don't completely buy it either. I just not a lot of great offensive players guard tough defensive matchups either. Mm-hmm. But that's all you have in the playoffs. When you get to a certain point in the playoffs, teams are playing five threats on the floor. Yep. And you know the Raptors starting lineup. Part of the reason they're good this year is because they can do that too. Every time teams ignore OG, who's the easiest guy to ignore on the Raptors starting lineup. He's a great cutter. He's hitting his threes now. So the Raptors have those weapons too now, but so do the teams they're going against. You have to, you can't hide a guy. Yeah. Yep. It's true. Um, that's, that's one of the things about like, I think I might write about this soon. Um, I don't, I haven't, I haven't decided yet, but like, OG is like, this is like a almost like he's been this good all season for the most part, obviously, but this is like a coming out party for him to be able to do this in the playoffs, like to be the guy we knew and thought he was or is and, um, playing like even better, you know, than a lot of people could have hoped to this point. Um, just being like terror on defense, hitting his open threes, uh, making great cuts, smart decisions, um, playing within his role, but also like trying to do as much as he can, um, you know, to help, uh, just help his team win and help like show that he can do more than the Wizards clearly think he can do. Um, so that's been that's been really great. I I I love OG. Uh, he's been the, he's been the Raptors, uh, arguably the Raptors MVP so far. And it's crazy to think like he basically didn't play his last year in college. He got no. hurt just yeah. into the season. Yep. He didn't have a summer league. He didn't have a training camp. Yep. He wasn't supposed to be healthy till January. Yeah. Like, the guy basically took a year off for basketball in one of the most important years in a guy's life. Yep. And then he became a starter for one of the best teams of the league. Mm-hmm. And he's still 20 years old. And I know I made fun of Boston fans earlier in the pod for saying that about Jason Tatum, but... <laughs> like, uh, I believe OG is going to become... a like a really good or possibly a great player mm-hmm. so much. I would, I wouldn't trade him for, I would trade him for very few guys in the league at this point. Yeah. And I, I think it's only a matter of time too, before his, like the best part about him is like, he has a high basketball IQ. Those are always one of the best. Um, those are the best things to see in young guys early. Like he already knows um, how to play the game and like to, where to find his spots and like when to cut and like, all this stuff to go along with his just physical gifts. And, um, and yeah, like you said, he's like, he's only 20. So obviously he's going to get better and he's going to learn more. And like, he still talks about how he doesn't think he's at his 100% peak athleticism yet. Still coming back from the injury and and stuff. 
So And guys love playing with him, too. You listen yeah. to any of the teammates talk about OG, they love him. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite things that like about him this season that I learned is, is like his relationship with CJ Miles is like CJ is the one who kind of took OG under his wing, which is like such a weird pairing when you think about it, but it kind of makes sense that he's like the rook and like the one of the oldest vets on the team, you know, takes him under his wing. And uh, I really love that. Uh, I love that like pairing. It's great. Masai, it's one of the things I, I don't think we give Masai enough credit for is he's great at finding the like veterans who just fit the culture and help the young guys along. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's part of why, you know, the Raptors always seem to have these guys coming up is because they have good veterans helping them get there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so OG's amazing. Uh, hopefully they'll have more minutes. Hopefully he'll play in the fourth tonight. Um, game five, we're only like a few hours away from game five. Um, gonna be intense it's rainy here weather's crappy which probably means toronto will win if recent uh yeah i saw i saw somebody tweet about that the raptors have won the games where the weather in toronto sucks they've lost the games with good weather i think that was me or at least i was tweeting about it yeah the raptors have been winning when it's like nice weather and like losing when it's not it's weird Um, (laughs) i'm kind of keeping track of it now because i've been thinking about it so much it's it's really strange it kind of goes along with like how Blake's always talking about how he's like, oh, it's just like misery incarnate, but it all flows together. <laughs> I'm never sure how much he's joking about that. And um, yeah, so I don't know, but maybe the maybe the not so great weather is actually a good sign for the Raptors. Um, but yeah, so game five tonight. Uh, any other random keys? I think the, I think the role players will play better. Delon needs to take those shots he wasn't taking in uh, the last game and. Can't keep turning it over, and yeah. I think the it's true the role players have to take those shots, but also, you know, just because they're if they don't take the shot doesn't mean De- Demar and Kyle don't need to keep passing to them. Oh yeah, because what yeah. what happened in the fourth was a chicken or egg thing. It was both the guys weren't taking shots and they stopped passing to them. Yeah, it's true. I, I thought the DeLon Wright thing was the, one of the weirdest things for me because, one, he hit he hit one of those shots earlier in the game. And then, two, uh, he's good at those shots now. Like, he's become a really good three-point shooter, like, at least enough to where now, like, I, I feel good about letting him take wide-open threes. Um, I'm totally fine with that. And yet he was hesitant to take them. I was just kind of confused because, like, I don't know. Like, there's no one around saying, like, don't take those. Like, everybody's going, yeah, that's great. That's your shot, man. Take it. And he yeah, just he, did. he shot, like, 36% on the season from three. Yeah, and, like, post-All-Star break, it was, like, closer to 40, I think. So, I don't know. It was weird. I didn't understand why he wasn't shooting them. I want – I think it's really important tonight that Pascal Siakam makes an impact. I think yeah. people have been talking a lot about – Purtle and a lot about Miles and DeLon, where, whether he's been having a good night or a bad night. I think Pascal Siakam has been invisible in this series to a large extent, and he needs to make an impact. What? And there's a million ways he can do it. Yeah, he's, he's one of the most uh, versatile players the Raptors have. He's our Draymond Green, if you start asking Raptors fans now. Uh, <laughs> I like that comparison. Um, He's not quite Draymond Green yet, but uh, hey, he can get there. Um, 
he's been he's been so good. I I, I like Siakam as well. Um, yeah, so that's that's pretty much uh, all the time we have today. Uh, I don't want to keep you going too long. Anyway, um, so I appreciate uh, you coming on the podcast. Uh, thanks for coming on and. Uh, um, go ahead and uh, got anything else to plug? Uh, plug where people can find you on Twitter and stuff. Uh, my Twitter is at Anthony S M Doyle. I'm doing the quick reaction tonight for Raptors Republic, and uh, hopefully I'm not too depressed when I'm writing it. <laughs> but uh, I think I also have a feature coming out. It'll be on Friday. Um, I'm writing just for Raptors Republic right now, but I'm always active on Twitter. And thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, anytime. It was good. It was, it was great to uh, finally get you on and uh, talk some Raptors with you. Always love talking Raptors, even when uh, we're super nervous about Game 5. Um, <laughs> it seems to be Raptors fans in the playoffs. It's just our lives, is to be nervous perpetually. Um, so, yeah, you'll be able to find the Writers Right podcast on bumpers.fm or the Bumpers app. Uh, if you have that, you can also follow the podcast at Twitter, um, on uh, at uh, Writers Right Pod on Twitter, where links to the episodes will be posted, and also a link to the article that my guest has written. Um, until then, you can follow me at Howvolution on Twitter, and you can find my own work at Raptors Republic, occasionally a B-ball breakdown, and uh, Scene Creek as well. If you are into film, um, so thanks for listening, and uh, go Raptors. Thank you.